uh, this morning. I've got a question to start with. Um, are, I, I need to know kind of who I'm talking to in the crowd, so don't be afraid to like speak out or raise your hand or whatever. So uh, who in the room is like a reviewer? Like you actually go somewhere, a restaurant, or you buy something, and you'll actually go in and give your feedback to the purchase or the restaurant. All right, we have one that's signaling to the person next to them. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, do you get the emails from online shopping that says, will you rate your transaction? Do you guys get those? I get them. I don't know if you... Okay. Do you ever like click and give the feedback? Okay, so here's the next question. How many of you, before you buy something big, actually read the reviews? Okay, so you don't give reviews, but you'll read reviews. Why? I don't get that. Okay, so you, you, how many people do you think out of 100 are actually taking the time to give a review? How many people do you think? Just, I don't know. I'm just guessing. 3%. 3%. All right, that's high, I think. Probably it's 1%, maybe? Maybe? 5%? All right, it depends on how mean you are, right? I mean, that's like... Um, so... So you let a review of a, a stranger that's had an experience either at a restaurant or buying a car or a TV, you let the minority decide what's going to happen in your life purchasing. Is that what you're telling me? Pretty much. All right. Thank you for your honesty, Aaron. That's great. All right. Here, here's the thing. We're very, very quick and we're very, very eager to give reviews. Whether we actually type them out or we tell our friends and family, we're giving reviews all the time from experiences we had or a purchase we made or a car we bought or a vacation we went on a community we're a part of we're always giving reviews whether we actually type them out or not now what about last night's dinner mom did you get a review from your kids and your husband from last night's dinner eh, it's kind of cold and the ambient the lights weren't that nice and man the chairs were really uncomfortable i mean did anybody get that kind of review at home last night from your meal if you did they're not going to eat again are they okay <laughs> um what about the, whoever washes the clothes in your house? I don't know who that is. Could be a guy, could be a girl, could be the kids. Do you give a review of how the clothing was done? Like, uh, I'd like it a little straight. I'd like it not so dry this time. I'd like it, you know, like the first time Christy and I got married, we had our apartment together. I said, I'm going to be helpful. She's working. I'm going to wash the clothes. And so I did a load of laundry. And when it was all said and done, my T-shirts were this big and pink. And her dress was shrunk. And I was like, whoops. And she's like, you're never washing again. Man, 25 years later, what an amazing blessing that was. <laughs> Not good advice. You can all learn. But accidentally, I stumbled across something that if you do it bad one time, maybe they don't want to ask you to do it again. That's terrible advice, guys. Don't do that, okay? We can learn, you know. Now Christy's like, hey, can you do a load of laundry? And I'm like, oh, okay. But do you get reviews? Do you get feedback? Here, here's what we're going with, and here's why I'm asking these questions. Most of us are quick to give feedback on experiences or purchases or, or things that are outside. But very few of us look in the mirror, very few of us take an evaluation of our own lives to see where we really are. Have we met our goals? Have we accomplished what we set out to accomplish? Are we actually hitting the mark? Have we, have we set out on a path that we want to, we, we're, we're at a destination where we set out to be at? Most of us don't think about how we're cooking or cleaning or driving or living. We simply just go and exist and respond and react to the things that happen all around us. Well, today we're going to look actually back at ourselves. We're going to look at the church, and over the next few weeks we're going to put our focus on the church. Some of it will be focused right here at Bethel, and other will be focused about it at the church that's around the world, around the country. We're going to try to see what the church at large is doing. How are we doing? Have we drifted off our mission? Have we remained the church that Jesus built? And today we're going to dive into specifically the church that Jesus built. How could something that started 2,000 years ago be still relevant and functioning today? 
albeit sometimes dysfunctional. How, how is it possible that things are still moving in what we call the church in a changing world, an ever-changing world? And actually, over the last few decades, the church has gotten a bad rap um, for some good reasons and some not-so-good reasons. Everyone has an opinion about the church, whether they will write a review online or they will tell their friends and family and neighbors. Everybody has an opinion about what the church is. Most people in our community have some kind of church experience. A lot of people went to Sunday school when they were kids. A lot of people went to youth group when they were teenagers. A lot of people went to camp. A lot of people nowadays still are involved in this thing called the church, but we see damage that's done in the name of religion, and we wonder why we're so ineffective. We come week after week, and we sit in our same spot, and we find a place in the building, and we kind of have our guard up a little bit because we're trying to make sure that that guy on stage doesn't say something that upsets me, that someone in the community doesn't say something that makes me mad, and then I'll just go on to another church that I can find because there's plenty. You can just look, out, look around. There's plenty of places we can all land, and we go into a church situation with our guard up knowing that we're probably going to get hurt or something is going to offend us. This is the church that we live in all days. And, and I think a lot of us as parents have a kind of this fear that our kids are going to grow up someday and abandon the church. They're going to walk away. And it's happening decade, decade after decade because the first chance a young person gets that they don't have to come, they're gone. And there's a reason. There's a reason behind that. The church is a mystery, and yet it's tangible. We can touch it. It's valuable, and yet it's chaotic at the same time. It's exciting and terrifying. It's the mystery of God represented in imperfect humans. And we see week after week that we can either become a bride of Christ or we can become a beast that just chews up people and spits them out. This series is actually uh, titled Beast or Bride, The Future of the Church, and we're going to explore a bunch of different topics, looking at ourselves and doing a personal review, a self-confrontation, if you will, to ask some hard questions about how we're doing. These are kind of standalone topics, but they're all knitted together in this idea that the church is either the bride of Christ or a beast or a monster that has evolved into something that Jesus never intended. We're going to look at things like unity versus division. We're going to look at faithfulness versus unfaithfulness. We're going to look at preparing the bride or feeding the beast. We're going to be following Jesus versus consuming religious activity. So if you've been in church about any amount of time, you have seen the beast side of the church rear its ugly head. When we focus on the church and we look at it and we get real nitpicky, we can find the bad in the church. But if we ignore it altogether, that church will eventually, or that beast will eventually turn around and bite us. All of us learn this dance, and it's a choreography, and it's either sitting and standing and singing or raising our hands or putting our hands down. It's this delicate dance that we've all learned in order to get it right in this chaos we call the church. And if we don't move properly at the right time or say the right thing at the right time, we'll get stepped on, we'll get hurt, we'll get mistreated, and so we just go through the motions. And many of us, over time, just go through the motions of what it means to be a part of the church because we really don't want to rock the boat too much. Because if we rock the boat too much, that thing we're trying to hold on to might just disappear or go away. For a few generations in my lifetime, we've seen a mass exodus of a, a generation of, of people. It's people leaving the established church en masse. The world today is full of, of people that identify themselves as exvangelical, 
as they've excommunicated themselves from the church or deconstructionists who've actually deconstructed their experience at church and found nothing, and so there was no reason to be a part of the community of church. It's a group of people that have seen the beast and the beast tamers, and instead of being drawn to it or appalled by it and try to run away as fast as they can, we see the casualties all around us because there's these existential questions, these true questions that many people have, but they're afraid to ask because they're afraid they're going to get torn down by the church. In the name of being right, we have alienated those that are curious and are seriously wondering why Jesus would put up with us all. What have we done wrong? Where have we gone wrong? Are we just continuing and perpetuating a problem? Can the beast be transformed or can the beast be tamed? Can the beast even be killed? We'll try to figure that out over the next few, few weeks. My, my, my hope is that we can wade into some controversial topics without getting blown up. That we can actually have some difficult talks and look at each other and, and truly evaluate and do a review as family of how we're doing. Because a lot is at stake if the church is ineffective. A lot is at stake if the church turns into a beast instead of the bride of Christ. A lot is at stake eternally if we're more concerned about being right than being loving. We will move in this conversation, and we'll keep going forward at Bethel to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. And we want to represent the church that Jesus built. And that's where we're going to get started today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is calling. He had called these men and women, and they were following him um, on this three-year, three-and-a-half-year period where they began to, Jesus was trying to teach them about the kingdom of God. He was trying to teach them about the way to live, and then he actually was telling them that he was coming to give his life to establish the church. Now, a lot of people are really upset with the church and say that they can do life without the church. I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. The, the interesting thing about that is the church is the bride of Christ. You cannot separate Jesus from the bride. It's like Christy and I, we're in a relationship, and if you say, ah, Ray's okay, but I really don't like Christy, that's like, that's a problem. Like, we're going to have a problem, we won't be friends, okay? So if you have a problem with my wife, well, you have a problem with me, and then vice versa, and that's, that's just how it works. And so when we think about the church and we think about what Jesus did, he actually started the church and he gave his life for the church. That's why he came. That was his sole purpose. If you, if you read his story and, the, and the, the story of his life, he didn't just come to be a good teacher. He didn't just come to be a prophet. He didn't just come to die on a cross and raise from the dead. He actually came to establish his kingdom on earth to make a difference in this community that we call the planet earth, that we call our community. So verse 6, uh, 13, we're going to start there. Uh, Jesus walking with his, his disciples, those that were following him, and uh, it's easy to admit who was there, but there was a group of people there, and Jesus is talking to them in this scene. It says right here, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's talking about himself, so he's talking in the third person. Who do people say that Jesus is? Really, who do, you, who do people say that I am? So he's talking about the Son of Man. That's interchangeable for Jesus. The Son of Man is Jesus. You can see in most verses or scripture uh, translations, it's capitalized. Son of Man is capitalized. And that's because he was asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Then the answer was, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Now, if you think about it, this time John the Baptist um, was in prison or recently murdered. And so they were like, oh, maybe this is kind of the spirit of John the Baptist. And then they say, some say Elijah. That's one of the Old Testament prophets. Others say Jeremiah, another Old Testament prophet, or one of the prophets. 
And so if you look at this question and then their response, this is what people are saying. This is people's review. This is their Yelp review, their Google review of who you are. This is what they think. Now, could Jesus have taken that review and that's been who he was? A lot of us take reviews and we say, well, that's just what I'm supposed to do. And so I'm going to dig into that. No, no. He, he said, who do they say I am? And all they were doing is they were looking for a prophet, a priest, or a king. That's really what the answer was from the community. See, our, our humanity, even today, is still and always has been looking for a prophet, a priest, or a king. We're always looking for someone that we'll, we can follow, someone that seems to have the answer, someone that can rule and someone that can dominate. And so we end up giving our allegiance to all sorts of different celebrities. Like today, we call them celebrities. Maybe a politician or maybe a, 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 some kind of um, a, a movie star or a musician or maybe someone that's really good at casting vision. It's like, okay, I, that's my prophet, priest, and king, and that's what I'm going to align my life with because they seem to have it all together. The disciples were no different than we are today, they were looking for someone to come and overthrow the Roman Empire. They were in bondage politically, and they were looking for a king to come and take away the Roman Empire. And so his disciples, they were also looking for the same thing. They were looking for a ruler that would come and do away with their experience. Now today, we look around, and we start looking around for greater meaning. We have this 9-to-5 job, it's 40-plus hours a week, and... We come home, and then we repeat it the next day. It's like we want to make sure that our life has purpose and that we're doing what we're supposed to do. Like, have I made the right choices? Have I hitched my wagon to the right belief system? Is this Jesus thing really okay? Am I doing the right thing by bringing my family to be a part of the church? Have we discovered the right truth? Are we following the right movement of the person? All of us have the same exact questions, and Jesus hit it on the head. He said, who do people say that I am? And none of them, none of the answers that they gathered was who he really was. Honestly, what does our community think of the church? Who is the church? What is the church? What would the answer be? I'll bet you we'd get the variety of answers like Jesus got. This is why our world today has so many people that identify as nuns. No, we're not talking about like Mother Teresa types. We're talking about N-O-N-E's. These are people that have no religious affiliation. You ask them a question, so what's your religious belief? None. And that's the box that people check because they don't want to be identified with something that doesn't seem to work. This probably happened because many of us don't even know why we're here. Many of us come to church week after week and we have no idea why we're a part of this thing called the church. Maybe we inherited it from our family. Maybe we stumbled across it and it makes us feel good. Maybe we like the music. Maybe sometimes we like the people that we hang out with. It's like we're just simply playing the cards that were handed to us from the previous generation. And we just keep going. And generation after generation, we become less effective. So Jesus looks at the guys and girls that were following him, and he asked a really profound question. The first one was, who do people say I am? And then his next question is right here. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? This is one of the most profound and one of the most important questions that anyone could ever be asked. Who do you say Jesus is? The answer to this question determines your destiny, your daily peace, your purpose, your existential doubts, your hopes. Who do you say Jesus is? Have you ever stopped and actually thought about your answer to this question? 
Do you say, oh, it's a guy that lived a long time ago, or he was a guy that taught some really good things. He was a controversial character. He was a man that was killed and, and put on a cross, or he was a guy that history says rose from the dead, or this was a guy that was a philosopher. He was a teacher. He was a prophet. Maybe he was God. Maybe he was Messiah. He claimed all these things. And if we're not careful, we think about Jesus as a fictional character. Now, I'm not wanting to feed anybody any answers, but I want you to actually think in your own mind, in your own words, who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus? So I, I want to pause just for 30 seconds, okay? Really awkward, 30 seconds. We're going to have total silence. Reuben, would you time 30 seconds? I didn't bring my phone. So here's what I want you to do. If you have a piece of paper, if you have a phone, if you have something you can write on, I'd like you to just sit for 30 seconds and ask yourself this question, who do I think Jesus is? And then write your answer down. So let's all do it, okay? I know you're either staring at me like, I don't want to do homework in church. Well, this is awkward, and, but we're all going to do it, and there's 30 seconds of silence, which is really awkward, okay? Okay, Ruben, start the timer. Thank you very much. 30 seconds silence. time. Now, when's the last time you sat in total silence for more than 30 seconds? This is a whole other sermon, okay? We can go there some other time, but most of us are so used to the noise and the chaos. Uh, my family sleeps with the noisemakers at night because we just don't like the silence. And so it's like we need to sit sometimes in silence and think about our answer. Now, I don't know if you just spit up an answer that you've heard or something that you're supposed to say because you're in church and like the Sunday school answer what did you really think and what did you really write and say when no one's looking? Who is Jesus? This may be a monumental and a pivotal moment for most of us. Now, most of us actually wrote things about who Jesus was, not who Jesus is. So if you look at your, your phrase or your words, did you tend to say Jesus was this and say something about what he was? Or did you say Jesus is presently, currently something? Like, I don't want to give you an answer, and we're going to see why right here in this next verse. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, let's pause, real talk. If you wrote that down and never have read that verse before, you are full of bull crap. That's all I got to say, all right? Because we don't speak like that, okay? That's not the words we use. But we could say something similar to that. Here, here's the thing. He was sitting there, and you may have written that down because maybe you've already heard this before. But deep in your heart, who is Jesus? This is right here, verse 17. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon of John, because the Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. This was a supernatural revelation. This was something beyond time and space. This was not something that Peter, with his deep theological thoughts, came up with for a good one-liner. 
This is something that the God of heaven, the universe, the creator, the Holy Spirit dropped in his mind and he said, now this is the same Peter that wanted Jesus to overthrow the government. This is the same Peter that would mouth off and say, oh, Jesus, you don't need to die. And Jesus called him Satan. This is the same guy. The Holy Spirit dropped it in his mind. It's called revelation, something beyond what we can see or truly understand. This is something that is known that was not known before, something revealed. And so Peter, in this moment, was open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and he actually said truth and really did not understand what he said. It was something that changed the course of history because he said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Truth is, we can't know Jesus unless he is revealed to us. We cannot know Jesus until we look outside and creation shouts the glory of God. We can't know Jesus until we understand that he himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the Savior. That's what Scripture says. He has no beginning or end. He's the creator and sustainer of life. He's the giver of life. He is close by, and he is. And here's what we've done as a church is we've reduced him to a few sound bites and then passed him to our kids and hoped that they were revealed, we revealed Jesus to him, to them. When it takes supernatural revelation for our kids to know who Jesus is, we cannot be our kids' belief system. I didn't say this in the first service. This is a bonus. I cannot stand in the way of my kids meeting Jesus. I need to let them go to Jesus because he will be the revealer in their lives, not you. You can set them on a path and a course. He was reve he revealed to Jesus through revelation, through scripture, through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus is revealed even today. It takes a supernatural move of God for someone to move from death to life, from blind to sight. And it is nothing that we can do other than the work of the Spirit to draw people into that relationship. And then we wonder why people don't trust Jesus because we're just all playing a game. Verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. It's an interesting part of the story because as, as we, we see the narrative and if we try to put ourselves in that situation, Jesus had just asked them a profound question. They said, this is what people say you are. He said, who do you say I am? Peter spoke for the group. I don't know what the other disciples thought. Actually, if you read the book of John, really interesting. Most of them did not even believe in Jesus until he rose from the dead. And they walked with him for three years and they didn't even believe in him. But you read over and over again, oh, they remembered that, and then they believed. And so a lot of us are on a journey figuring out what we actually believe, and it takes, a it takes time. It says right here, at this point, it says, Jesus was talking to Peter, and he goes, hey, you're Peter, which means rock, okay? So he's like, hey, you're a rock, and on this rock, I will build my church. And so he's, he's using the exact same word. The difference is, if you speak two languages, this is a lot simpler than in English. In English, we get all confused on these words. In Spanish, for example, there's a feminine and a masculine. And in Greek, it's the same thing. And in other languages, there's a feminine and masculine. That changes the way you say the word. And so Peter is a man, and so Jesus said, you are Petros, which is rock in Greek. And then he said, upon this rock, Petra, which is a feminine, a female version of the exact same word. So you have the male and the female, because he wasn't going to call 
Peter a girl. He's like, yo, girl, you're the rock. No, he was like, hey, rock, Peter. And then he said, I'm going to build my kingdom on the rock. Now, some people get really upset and they say, oh, it's not Peter. Peter's not the rock that Jesus is going to build the church on. And actually, if you keep reading, that's exactly what Jesus was saying. But also Jesus was talking about him building the rock on this statement that Jesus is the son of the living God, the Messiah. He's also building the rock on the statement. You know what he's also doing is he's also inviting everybody into this rock relationship. The truth is if you claim Jesus and you say Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, you rock. You guys are dead. <laughs> here's the truth. And you might have been offended by that. We can talk later. Here, here's the truth. When you claim and acknowledge and accept and are divinely revealed to Jesus and you make a decision about Jesus, you become one of the living rocks that are building the kingdom of God. You become a rock just like Peter. And upon this rock, this statement, this belief, this life, I will build my church. When you make a statement about who Jesus is and you're not afraid of it, when you wrote those notes to yourself and you're like, this is who I think Jesus is, when you declare Jesus, you become part of it. You're not just a simple stone. You're not just something that's thrown away. You're actually a rock in the kingdom of God, the church that Jesus has been building for 2,000 years. He kept on talking about the, the keys, and unfortunately, just like happened in the first service, my time's up and my, half my message didn't even get done. We're going to pick it up next week. In the book of Acts, we see that the first church received the power of the Holy Spirit and was commissioned to go, go into all the world and build, build big, big buildings and draw big crowds. And you guys all stayed silent. That's not what it says. You'll receive power to go into all the world and be, make disciples to declare my name, this statement that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Things have changed. We've morphed this thing into something else that Jesus did not intend. It has become a beast that needs to be fed and maintained and preserved unless it would turn around and bite people in its path. Now, here's the thing. I thank God for Bethel. I really do. I, I thank God for this place. This is one of the the, one of the most fun experiences I've had in church in my whole life. Because I see people from all walks of life, all religious backgrounds, all experiences, coming together under one thing, Jesus and Jesus alone. There's nothing else. We've got nothing else. We have no other commodity than Jesus. And so we've had a ton of fun here, but here's where it gets scary. If you showed up next week and the AC happened to not work, and our Bethel kids didn't meet. And some of the stuff we get used to is just not here. Maybe the coffee or biscuits, God forbid. <laughs> then what? How long would we carry this thing on? What if our building went away? What, what would we do? What would happen to our church community and our family? How, how do we, like, I mean, how, could we survive it? I mean, I thank God for AC, and I thank God for Bethel Kids, and I thank God for, for teachers and volunteers that would sit and, and explain the mysteries of God to children that are so curious. I'm grateful. But when we begin to replace and begin to get comfortable and we begin to make it about something else, we immediately turn it into a beast that needs to be fed instead of a bride that needs to be prepared 
for Christ. And here's what I've experienced in my life, is that the church is not a club to join, but a community to become, a kingdom to unite. The church is not about me. The church is not about anything but Jesus and others. It's about nothing else. We get so used to the awkwardness and the pain that is associated with life and in church. We, if you've ever been camping or hiking, I have, you put a backpack on, you got this big old heavy pack, you get your shoes on, you're, you're ready to go, you hit down the trail, and a few steps in, this pebble gets in your shoe, and you're like, ah, man, that's uncomfortable. But my pack's on, I'm ready to go, I'll, when I take a break, I'll, I'll take that rock out. And we just keep walking down the path with this pebble in our shoe. Well, eventually, we kind of get it situated somewhere where it's kind of not like hitting me in the ball, but it's kind of up there by my toes. I'll just leave it up there. It'll be fine. And eventually, it rubs this blister, and we're like, eh, I'll take care of it when I get to camp. And we don't ever sit down to stop and take that pebble out of the shoe, and eventually, there's be a callus there. We don't even realize that there's pebbles in there because we adapt to pain. We adapt to change. Okay, so the church, like, attracts a lot of weird people, a lot of strangos. It's Okay. I mean, we're all weird in some way or another. But you know what the church also attracts? A lot of mean people. A lot of nasty people. And we get so used to the church being chaotic and nasty that we say, well, that's just kind of part of it. That is not the church Jesus intended. Yes, awkward, and yes, strange, and yes, weird. But once we tolerate things that are not what Jesus wanted. We become this beast trying to preserve something that Jesus never intended for us to preserve. I seriously, seriously love the church. From my earliest memories to present, it has been a massive part of my life. I love the messiness. I love the chaos. I love the people that come in. I love how God turns marriages around. I love how teenagers get passionate about Jesus. I love it when kids open their lives to this creator, this mysterious creator that wants to call them friend. I love it all. And yet I'm seriously, seriously concerned that we'll be more about preserving than about passion. We'll be more about preserving what we have instead of radically stepping forward with generosity and sacrifice. Because once I declare that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, my part, my church, kingdom building, becomes purpose. And sometimes we're more concerned about leaving the pebble in our shoe, dealing with the awkward stuff, and our church will turn into a, a beast instead of a safe haven. It'll turn into a monster instead of a place of restoration and care, and we'll just keep feeding it. So when the church is no longer about the Messiah, when the church is no longer about Jesus, the Son of God, it becomes a beast. Don't get me wrong, I love coffee. You guys tell me the biscuits are great. I could never have them. Love it. But when we don't realize what Jesus is doing to perfect his bride, and we don't step into it, we will end up creating a monster. A monster that we're going to pass on to our kids for them to continue to feed. 
Let that not be our generation. Let me pray for you. God, this morning, my prayer is that you'd show us a way and give us peace and relief from our pain. We could have an honest conversation, an honest review of how we're doing, an honest review of, man, we're just kind of a mess. We might need to clean up a little bit. An honest review that we've taken away the main thing, which is Jesus, and replaced it with something else. You are the prophet, you are the priest, you are the king, and you are. And yet it's so easy for us to be distracted, persuaded, convinced of some minor preference or some theological point that we end up going into preservation mode and we end up forgetting that Jesus came to seek and to save that Jesus came to fill the void in our hearts, that Jesus came to unite a community of misfits together, that Jesus came to build rock upon rock, person upon person, his kingdom. And the only thing that will last is that kingdom that he builds. Jesus, we love you. We are grateful. Now as we stand and worship, let us keep the main thing, Jesus, our clear focus. Let's all stand and worship together.